beat and figure out how, how that was going to work as we were doing on. We got some gifted people up there. I mean, they can... They can sing and they can move at the same time, right? They can listen to each other's voices and memorize the whole piece for every Sunday for us. So we got some wonderful gifted people up there who've been called into ministry uh, with us at Resurrection and share that gift with us. Um, I love the part of that song, I'm sold out, uh, the interpretation meaning that I'm just full of the Spirit, God's blessed me so much. There's no room, there's no space for anything else but God's love, God's light, God's spirit in my life. So much so that it's even just abundant, it's overflowing, it's going to all those around me. The blessings just keep continuing. Have you had moments like that in your life where you're just so full, so full that just nothing else could even empty you in any way? It's just, it's just all there. And I, and I love those places because part of what we're talking about today is being called. And knowing that sometimes those moments are the things that give us the strength and the nourishment in order to be called, in order to answer a call, in order to move forward with what it is God may be calling us to in our life. And we're going to talk about uh, that today. And sometimes when that happens to you, though, I have to be honest, it's not always singing and dancing like that. Sometimes, as a East Texas United Methodist retired pastor, Reverend Dr. Sinclair would say, it's not necessarily a yippee moment. Say like he says, not necessarily a yippee moment, because being called into service may mean that you have that joy and you may be full, and it may take something out of you, some passion, some energy, some tears as you work for God and God's love on behalf of the world. So being sold out, being full up, sometimes even breaks you open. And we're surprised that our heart can expand even more. Our heart can love even more. Our heart can share even more, even as it's broken open. Now, one of those experiences happened for me. You know, it was artificial, but I remember it. Uh, this spring break, we took Michael for his first time to Six Flags, our son Michael. He'd never been on those big roller coasters before, and he just shrieked as much as he could throughout it and enjoyed the whole thing. But, you know, there's that moment on those rides, whether you're on the Superman ride where they pull you straight up all these stories, and then they pause, and then they drop you. Or you're going up that track really clicky, clicky, click, click, and then it just pauses. Oh, yeah, this, uh, you like that? <laughs> And then there's that moment when all of a sudden you're not falling, you're not going up anymore, and if they do the ride just right, you lose, your stomach jumps, and there's butterflies, you know, and it's just in that place where sometimes it's, it, it reminds me of that feeling of just being full, just being sold out, and this moment of joy and expectation and not knowing what's next. Moment of pure delight before all the curves and turns and, you know, whiplash you get. But that moment of having the sense of God speaking to us in ways that we can hear. And so in this series, based on that book, Searching for Sundays, Rachel Evans has taken what are known as the seven sacraments of the Christian faith. And it was interesting, after the first service, someone said, I'm trying to figure out if we're a sacramental church or not. And I looked at him and I said, oh, well, probably some other people are trying to figure out if we're a sacramental church or not, because we're talking about these seven sacraments. And from our traditions, our churches, some have no sacraments, some churches have two sacraments. There's a one church that has three sacraments, and then the Roman Catholic Church has seven sacraments. And so Rachel Evans is an evangelical uh, preacher, but she went to the Roman Catholic tradition to talk about the full seven sacraments. 
And a sacrament is, is really that moment of mystery when something that uh, has happened between us and God gets revealed and we can see it. And so the sacraments of our church, yes, we're a sacramental church, and we'll focus on baptism and communion the last two Sundays of this series. But within all of these traditions is God's mystery. Within all of these traditions is that moment in time where something is revealed that may have been hidden or that has not been named yet. Maybe we couldn't name ourselves, And we call that revelation of God within that situation sacramental. And so, yes, we are a sacramental church. We particularly celebrate communion and baptism, but we honor all of them and respect all of them and recognize the healing that they can bring for people. Those of you here two weeks ago know that we started with anointing. We started with that sacrament of healing. And then the sec last week we, started, we went to confession, that uh, ability to leave all of that at the cross, that ability for God to listen and for us to share our hearts and to say what is in our lives needs correction and trust and forgiveness in that sacrament of confession. Today, we're going to look at two of them together. We're going to look at holy orders, which is sometimes called ordination uh, for preachers and deacons and such. But I'm going to put forward to you, it's for everyone. And also, we're going to look at the sacrament of marriage, which here in the MCC church, we don't consider either of those sacraments, but they are sacramental. Often when I'm marrying a couple, I will say to them, that, you know, now the sacraments already occurred. Your souls have been bound. Your hearts are one. That's the real sacrament. What we're doing in this service, in this liturgy, is revealing it for the whole world to see. And that makes it a sacrament or sacramental for the church as well. So these moments in time, these mysteries where something happens that we celebrate and lift up these sacraments. You know, in some places, you can either be ordained or get married, but you can't do both. Okay? Here at Resurrection, you can do both. You can get married and you can be ordained, one or the other or both of them. And it is possible for everyone to feel called in that way to be set apart. I want to look at some of the scripture stories around that because they're kind of flashy. If you remember some of them, Moses in Exodus chapter 3, he's going about his daily work, right? He's tending the flock. And as Moses tends the flock, there's a burning bush over there, right? This is his simply calling story, his, his call into ministry. And he makes a mistake. What it says in, you can call it a mistake, in uh, Exodus chapter 3, it says that, he says, I need to go see what that's about. He could have walked on by, Right? I think we probably walk by signs all the time. He could have walked on by, but he says, I need to see what that's about. And Moses was open to hearing that call through the burning bush to him. Then later in the scripture in Isaiah chapter 6, there's Isaiah's calling. And Isaiah was one of those people who was around the temple a lot. You know, so he's familiar with it, and his images are about the temple and serving in the temple. So maybe one of those times in the simple temple, Isaiah gets the image of uh, bright fire and light and angels tending a throne. And out of that symbol, one of those angels goes and takes a hot coal out of the fire and takes it to Isaiah and touches his lips with it. And then the words are said, probably the words that Isaiah just needed to hear. You know, you are purified. All your sins are forgiven. Everything is good. And perhaps Isaiah was one of those people, maybe you are too, that questioned that. Questioned if they were good enough. 
questioned if they were pure enough, questioned if God could use them in any way. So in, in the call story for Isaiah, it takes issue with that right away. You're good enough. I don't know about burning your lips with a coal, but you're <laughs> you are good enough. And then those famous words, who shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me, in that calling story. Kind of fabulous, right? A burning bush, angels, hot coals. And then we move into the Christian uh, Testament, and we have Paul, who's going as far away from God as he can, still trying to get people rounded up and put in jail and people getting killed. And he's on his road, the road to Damascus, and there's a bright light. And in that bright light, uh, he's blinded. And he hears these words. He says, who are you? I'm Jesus, the one you're, persecuti- you're persecuting. You know, and then Jesus says, go to the city, and they'll tell you what to do. I think that's fascinating because many times in call stories, you don't know what you're supposed to do. You just may know you're sold up. You may just know you're full of the Spirit. You just may know that God's just been blessing your life and there's something you're supposed to do, but you may have no idea what it is at all. And in these three stories, you have Moses who'd run away from home, getting called back. You had Isaiah who'd been in the temple all the time, getting called to a different level of commitment. And then you had Paul, you know, just working as hard as he could against the church. And all of them get shifted around in their call stories, and they make new commitments. But I don't want you to think that's the only way it happens, because if you do, you might say, oh, I'm safe. I haven't seen anything shiny and bright flashing in the middle of the night. Right? You know, you say, oh, Troy, preach about all you want. I can sit on this pew. That's never going to happen to me. You know? But it also happens in your daily life. You know, because there's the other stories. There's in Mark's gospel when Jesus is walking by James and John, and they're fixing their nets. They're at work. And he just says, come and see. Someone you know or a stranger may walk by and say, well, come and see. And you might be like Moses and go take a look and watch out. Your life may change. You know? Or you might be like that Samaritan woman that's about her task of the day, and she's got her vase, and she's gone to the well to get some water, and then there's this man there talking to her, this Rabbi Jesus. And at the end of it, you forget why you were there altogether. You even leave your jar at the well, and you go. You're the first evangelist saying, come meet Jesus. Come and meet this person I've talked to. You might just be about your daily task, getting water, your daily task, at the well, your daily task, fixing your nets. Or you might have been like Jesus was. He'd been sold up with the Spirit. He'd been baptized. He'd been in the wilderness. He figured out what he wasn't when he was in the wilderness. But then something happened, and he started his ministry. So Jesus was all sold up, and then this thing happened. They arrested John the Baptist. And in the arrest of John the Baptist, Jesus started his public ministry. So you can be all sold up, and sometimes it takes the moment, the thing to happen that makes you take some kind of action. And I want to say that's partly the way it was for me because I thought I was called in 17, when I was 17, but I thought that was crazy because at the same time I learned that I was attracted to the same sex. I thought, God, don't be foolish. You know, so waited on that. But then this thing called the HIV AIDS epidemic came along. 
and people needed to be prayed with and visited in the hospital and funerals needed to be happening and they needed LGBT people to do that. So your own were pastoring to you. And so I heard in that moment of the HIV epidemic to go back and be ordained. Much like maybe Jesus did when, you know, Paul, his friend, got arrested. Who he had stood knee deep with in the water and said, yep, I support what's happening here in this ministry. So however you may be called, know that it can happen to you at any point in time in the day. And if you're curious, you're going to get pulled along into something more that God has for you. And I want you to hear that it's not just for preachers. It's not just for worship arts directors. It's not just for people on staff at churches. It's for each and every one of us that we are commissioned into new work, into new service. Because like these children could share their smile with us, we have something we can share with the world. Our author of Searching for Sunday says it this way. Ultimately, all are commissioned, all are called, all belong to the holy order of God's beloved. The hands that pass the peace can pass a meal to a man on the street. The hands that cup together to receive Christ in the bread will extend to receive Christ in the immigrant, the refugee, the lonely, and the sick. We are all called. We are all commissioned. We all have our holy orders. And in time, it can be revealed sacramentally to ourselves and those around us how we will serve. In a previous church I served, we taught what was called Disciple Bible Study, a nine-month intensive course of the Scripture. And in that course, you would read an hour to two hours a day, and then you'd meet in a class that lasted about three hours once a week. And at the end of nine months, at the last session of this long Disciple Bible Study, you would tell each other what you saw in them as their gift. And you would use language uh, from the scriptures, from Ephesians, that said some are called to be apostles, some are called to be prophets, some are called to be preachers, some are called to be teachers. There are a variety of gifts, and everyone is called. And we'd use those labels, and you could see some people wanted, like, run away. You know? No, you have the talent for sharing good news and joy. Or you have the talent of healing, of being present helping others know God's love right there in whatever the situation is. So sometimes getting sold up, nine months of Bible study, being filled with the Holy Spirit can be frightening and not necessarily a yippee moment. But I'm so thankful that God's in there with us however we feel, however much we want to run away like Moses or do the wrong thing like Paul, or be going the wrong direction, that we still have the opportunity for that bush to just burn right in front of our face. And God just dare us to walk around it. We have the chance to respond to those things. And so marriage, for me, is similar in this, because these individual gifts are meant to be used in community, not on our own. As much as you might like going fishing on the lake by yourself on a Sunday morning or climbing the mountain and enjoying the sunrise all by yourself and how inspirational that can be for you, God continues to say, okay, now go back to the people and live. Live in ways in common. Live in ways together. 
that you are able to just knock the rough edges off each other and know more about my love. So one unique way that many of us do that is we get hitched up, right? And we find out how much of our edges need to be roughed up, shaken off, broken, you know, reformed, because who can tell you best than those that are closest to you? You know, just ask Walter. He'll tell you about me. <laughs> just ask, he'll, he'll tell you about me. But it just, it, those, those ways that we put people together and then at the height of this moment of a ceremony where they're making these wonderful commitments and they make them promise this for the rest of their lives and then we all go home. And we leave them to work it out. You know, and it is some work. But in the churches that call this a sacrament, they recognize it a mystery in which God is present. When we describe the relationship of Jesus in the church, we call it a marriage, that Jesus is like the bridegroom and the church is like the bride. And so this mystery of love, this mystery of trying to work it out with another person is something that can be sacramental, something that can be healing, something that can help us grow. Not all of us are going to get married or feel called to that. Not all of us are going to have children or feel called to that. But we are all, the scripture says, and my message to you today is called and gifted and commissioned for service. I love it in the book of Revelations. It says, the holy city Jerusalem comes down like a bride, ready, ready for the love of her husband, beautifully dressed. And God is there among that relationship and that love. Our author, Rachel, says it this way. Paul is explaining that when Christians imitate Jesus, got that? When Christians imitate Jesus in their relationships, when partners in marriage serve one another rather than fight for dominance, we catch a glimpse of the mystery of Christ's relentless, self-giving love for the church and the consummation of that love that is to come. Interesting. Day by day, God's coming at us, offering us the moment to, in our sold-up moment, to listen and anew experience God's love in our life in a different way. Boy, I'm so thankful that I trust in that more than my actual love for Walter because that's what heals us over and over and over again. I don't know about you and some of those relationships. I mean, I'll, I'll ask you a question, and you'll some of you will grimace because you know about it. When, in a relationship with someone you trusted and was your loved one, did you ever find yourself agreeing to have a common checkbook? Six months, one year, five years, ten years? Never? Someone raised their hand at five over there. Oh, never? That's a never? You know, but these ways of trusting one another and living in common and, you know, and you, there's the three checkbook solution, right? I have one, you have one, we have a house account, you know, you got that. And then there's all our young people looking at me today saying, what's a checkbook, Troy? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? But just being called to work it out together, being called to find God's love in the nuts and bolts of life of being at work, of being at home, of being in love, of being in an argument. Whenever I would do weddings for couples, I always made sure they'd had at least one argument. Because if they hadn't, I asked, why not? You know, are you telling each other the truth? Do you know what's going on in each other's lives? The full truth, 
about what's happening. Because if everything's so peaceful and sweet and nothing's happened, I'm just curious how well you know each other. Right? Just a little bit. Just a little bit curious uh, about how well you know each other. I, I know you'll know each other better, but let's start off good. Do you know how to fight? <laughs> about money, about power, and still love each other. And still come through to the place where God loves you enough to make it happen and make the healing be possible and allow forgiveness to breathe and live in your life. And thereby have you know the sacramental gift that it is. When Walter and I finally got married after 10 years, it took us 10 years to get married, we went to Iowa to the Quad Cities, and someone thought they were being funny, so they sent us a little marriage card that said, it's about freaking time. <laughs> and, and, they sent, and they had little two little antique grooms that they sent to us with it, too. And we appreciated that message and the honor, and we really just uh, didn't think much of the ceremony. We were just going to do it because it was about time. And so we went to Quad Cities, where in Iowa, marriage was legal at the time, but not many other places. Went to the MCC Church of the Quad Cities, and we invited our dads because they were going to be our best men. And then, all, lo and behold, the rest of our family showed up, 40, 50 people from all across the U.S., uh, even though they weren't invited. <laughs> <laughs> they came. And I thought it wouldn't mean anything. You know, we've been together 10 years. But there's something about the public confession of commitment. There's something about saying it in front of those you love and those you respect that changes who you are. You know, my mom had been married three times. I think up until that 10-year service, I had one foot in and one foot out, even if I didn't say it. But at that moment in time, the mystery worked. And the blessing served. And then when I went home, I was a different being. Sacraments change us and help us become different beings. I don't know what it's like in your wedding to come or that will never be. But when people come to me and say, I want to plan a wedding, I make sure they argue. And then when we plan the service, I listen real carefully because I want it to reflect their love. And the ones who say things like, we want it to be unlike anybody else's. <laughs> We're not going to do anything the traditional way. Everything's going to be new. You know, have you heard people like this? You might have been a part of a wedding like that. You know, well, there you end up being the most traditional. It's fascinating. They come in, I'll say, okay, yay, let's be creative. When we get to the ceremony, they're all dressed up one way or another. They got rings, they got vows, they have readings. And I thought, this is the most traditional ceremony I've ever been a part of. <laughs> And God still in the midst of those places and ways of us trying to be creative, but coming back to the traditional, coming back to the common, coming back to sacraments that reveal in us God's love again, because it's a language we speak over and over again, whether it's anointing and healing, whether it's marriage and love, whether it's being called because of our giftedness, whether it's being confessing that we're broken and we need God's wholeness. All these things reveal in us a deeper mystery of God's commitment to us. Rachel Evans says, I may be wrong, but I think the point is this. What each of us longs for the most is to be both fully known and fully loved. Miraculously, God feels the same way about us. God, too, wants to be fully known and fully loved. God wants this so much that God has promised to knock down every obstacle in the way, enduring even his own death 
to be with us, to consummate his love. Thank you, Rachel, to consummate God's love by being with us. Barbara Brown Taylor puts it this way. She's a former Episcopalian priest that's an author, and she says, to be a priest is to know that things are not as they should be, and yet to care for them the way they are. To be a priest is to know that things are not the way they should be, and yet to care for them the way they are. To be a disciple, to be a husband, to be a wife, to be a friend, to be a parent, is to know that things aren't perfect, but we're going to love them the way they are. Amen. <laughs>